This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. I am the leader for this hour. This meeting is being sponsored by the FA General Service Organization for the distinct purpose of creating recordings for the FA CD library. Those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There is a seventh tradition basket. Please be generous. I come to be in these rooms very honestly, although years ago I never would have considered myself a food addict. I had a lot of trouble saying that. I never had any trouble saying I was a compulsive overeater. But someone in the program said that they ate compulsively. That's what they did. But a food addict is who they are. And I've come to realize in the 10 years that I've been here that I'm a food addict. Um, But before I realized that, what I do remember from my very earliest days is the fear, doubt, and insecurity. That I grew up with as a little kid. I never could have labeled it that. All I knew was that I was scared. All the time, I was afraid. I don't know what I was afraid of, but I always had fear with me. And uh, I always wanted to hide. I wanted to be quiet. I was the shy little kid that you never heard from. I grew up in a time when people said children should be seen and not heard, and that was fine with me because I was afraid to open my mouth. But I grew up in a family with a mother and father and a sister who was one year younger than myself. And we were close family. Uh, We had aunts down the street and a cousin, Bob, who was six months older than me. And Bob was the older brother I never had, somebody I always looked up to. Bob had a lot of freedom, where my sister and I were raised very differently. My parents were very protective. Um, so we didn't get out into the neighborhood a lot. I didn't have playmates. My sister was basically my only playmate and my cousin Bob. And maybe that made me more dependent on them. I don't know. But that fear, doubt, and insecurity, I'm pretty sure is something that I was born with because that I clearly remember. When I went into school, I was shy. I don't even remember any school kids or school friends. Um... But I went to school every day. My mother and sister walked me to school. And in those days, she came home for lunch. So she would pick me up at lunchtime and walk me home. And when I think back in those days, I ate pretty much then the way I eat now. I don't eat quite the same foods that I eat today, but I ate in that same way. We had breakfast every morning. We had lunch at noon and dinner at night. And we didn't do a lot of snacking. Um... The only time we had what I really loved in my house, which was the sugar and flour things, were if we had company or if it was a holiday. That was a special treat. So the things that I really liked, even from a very young age, were the sweet things, the flour and the sugar. Um, 
but I knew it had to be a special occasion for us to have them at all. And when my sister and I were being especially good girls, my mother would say, you know, you've been really good. There might be a treat on your, bre- on your bureau in the morning. And I would wake up in the morning, and the first thing I would die for is the little paper napkin that had a treat inside, and that would be my breakfast. But that wasn't typical. I mean, I did not really have control over what I ate. And when I grew up, I was considered a finicky eater. Until I had my tonsils out about the age of five, I really didn't eat a lot. I mean, it was always my mother forcing me or saying, you know, you've really got to eat what's on your plate. I I never really cared for food, per se, a regular meal very much, but the sweets I could always get down. Um, So I I was a tall kid growing up. Um, I grew to be five foot ten as an adult. I'm a little shorter than that now. Age has brought me down at least one inch or more. Um, But growing up, that also made me feel different because I was taller than all my school friends. I was uh, gawky, and I towered over all the girls and most of the boys, too. In those days, girls didn't get all that tall. Today, I see a lot of really tall, beautiful women who are over six feet in height, and I was definitely um, out of proportion in those days. Um, so I couldn't hide very well, even though I wanted to, just simply because I was as tall as I was. But uh, I didn't distinguish myself in school at all. I really kept as quiet as I possibly could. Um, and my, my cousin Bob and my sister were my school friends and my, my mates, my playmates. Uh, life went along pretty typically for me. Um, nothing rocked the boat until I was about 16 years old. Um, And at that time, my father died very suddenly. And when he died, my world shifted in ways. Uh, For one thing, we had never had a lot of money, uh, but we always had food on the table. We always had clothes and a roof over our head. But money became tight after my father died. Um, My mother had a disability, and so she was a little limited as to working. She only worked for a very short period of time. So I was 16 then, and that's the age when a lot of teenagers get their first job. And it it was discussed that, you know, maybe it's about time I got a little part-time job for myself. And my part-time job ended up being in a bakery, which was five minutes down the street. And what a perfect place for me to work, being a food addict. Um, So I worked there, and um, we were allowed to eat pretty much anything we wanted. So I would be... I'd go in for after school, 3 o'clock, and put on my uniform. And, you know, in between quiet times, I'd be eating. And um, I really didn't think anything of it. You know, I always had everything I wanted there. I mean, it was really the ideal job for a food addict. And at that time, I was still very, very thin. I used to be called string bean and bean pole, and I was very self-conscious about it. So I have to say, I consciously went in with the idea of, well, maybe unconsciously, but of gaining some weight. But I never did, even with as much as I ate, because I had this fast metabolism and I was a teenager and I was still growing. But what happened was that uh, exposure to the sugar and flour on a daily basis definitely kinked, kicked in my addiction in, in a way I don't think normal eating you know, in my home would have done because I never had such quantities before. Um, so that definitely started that lifelong um, openly going for the sugar and flour, which I had never had the ability, ability to before. When my sister and I were young, we had very little allowance. We 
got it like a quarter a week. But in those days, 25 cents, you could go in and buy five things in a, a little corner store, and that's what I would do uh, on many occasions with my 25 cents. It wouldn't last very long. Um, so I, I worked in that bakery for several years, and, um, and during the time I graduated high school, and I had met in high school the man I eventually married, and he was the direct polar opposite of me. He was very outgoing, very engaging. People liked him. They flocked to him. And in some ways, I think I was a perfect mate for him because I was the audience. I was quiet and receptive. And, but also during those times, I did come a little bit more out of my shell, which was nice. But going back to work, going into a job, took me away from that social teenage life a bit. But uh, we stayed close. We went out as a group in high school, we, we didn't do any single dating in those days. It was just a big group of friends. And um, I always felt they tolerated me because Jake, who was, eventually became my husband, was interested in me. I never really thought I had a lot to offer, that anybody would want to hang around with me just for myself. Again, that fear, doubt, and insecurity. And um, so I, I was accepted because I was with him, I felt. And um, after high school, I was lucky enough on the day of graduation to be offered a scholarship to our local teacher's college. Um, I had no hopes whatsoever of going to college. There was, first of all, there was no money for it, and um, I had not even applied. It just wasn't even a consideration. But I guess I must have let it be known through a guidance counselor that I would be interested in the very last day of high school graduation, I was told there was a scholarship. In those days, it was to Boston State Teachers College, and it was $200 for the year, which wouldn't even buy a semester's worth of books today, I'm sure. Um, so I was going to have the college education. However, I went into college, and I wasn't prepared in any way, shape, or form for it. And after the first semester, I flunked out. And that humiliation, I have to say, stayed with me for 30 years terrified me so much that that fear, doubt, and insecurity, which is so much an ingrained part of who I was, kept me from even applying to um, take a course at night because always in back was, well, I failed once. Why don't, you know, what's to say I'm not going to again? And I only say that to show that this disease, even though it hadn't manifested itself on my body at that time, I was still thin then, had a hold of me from my very earliest memories. It kept me from doing a lot. It kept me from exploring things because of, I was afraid I would fail. If I failed once at something, you know, what are chances I could ever do it again? If I couldn't be perfect, you know, whatever my standard of perfect was, I just wouldn't try it. So it was always safe to stay within the boundaries that I set for myself. Um, so I, I flunked out of college and went to work as a secretary in a hospital. Um, and my, he wasn't then my fiancé, but my boyfriend at the time, Jake, was in college for a couple of years, um, theater major, doing well. But there was still that my mother saying, well, gee, you know, how can you support a family doing something like that? It's not very practical. But, you know, I was young. I thought you can live on love. And um, we eventually did marry when we were both 21. And my then husband um, became a hairdresser and he was very successful in his business. And um, 
it, life was good. It seemed like it should. It was going along exactly the way it should be. Uh, we married for several years. First, we had a daughter, and then um, almost a year and a half later, we had twin sons. We bought a home. Uh, my husband had opened up his own business. He was making good salary. Uh, we were spending money as fast as it came in because never thought it was going to end. Before the children had come along, um, after we were married and he had his business, we would stop two or three evenings a week on the way home and eat dinner out. I mean, I didn't really cook very much. I knew how to make basically one main course and salad, which came in handy years later, this program. Um, so we, you know, it was like life was always going to be this way. I never really thought about tomorrow. It's just living for the moment. Um, again, at that point, my weight wasn't an issue. Um, but once I had children, I had gained very little weight with the first pregnancy, and that came off you know, immediately after I gave birth. I didn't have any residual. But when I became pregnant again with twins, I did gain more weight. And I had maybe between 10 and 20 pounds. I didn't even know um, exactly how much left after I delivered them. And I, I looked at myself, and it was the first time in my life my body ever had more weight than I should carry, and I didn't know what to do with it. I'd never had that problem before. I didn't know how you were supposed to diet, although I had people in my family that were heavy, and I'd heard people talk about diets. I didn't really know what it meant. So I just sort of thought it was going to magically disappear on its own, which it never did. So that was maybe, I'd been married about maybe eight years seven or eight years at that time. And, you know, just sort of thought about it and really didn't take any active steps to do anything about the weight. Um, but, but I know I was aware of it for the first time in my life. Um, my husband and I seemed, uh, seemed to have a good marriage. Uh, I thought we did. And my sister had a great marriage. And my cousin Bob that I grew up with did. But of the three of us, I thought, you know, I've, I've really got the best marriage. And... You know, I didn't realize that I really wasn't living in reality. Um, my husband was going on a lot of extended business trips, some of them out of the country. Um, we weren't keeping as close touch as we might have. But still, in my oblivion, I didn't really know that anything was wrong um, and didn't see signs that probably were pretty obvious or would have been to somebody who was looking. But after being married for nearly 10 years, my husband uh, came out and told me that he was gay and that he would be leaving the marriage. And by the time he told me this, I wasn't 100% surprised, but I was probably like 80% surprised. Um, and I was pretty devastated, too. All that fear, doubt, and insecurity came rushing right back. Because when I was married, when I had the husband and the home and the kids, I felt pretty much okay with life, pretty much okay with myself. Um, being married and being loved by someone gave me that confidence, that, that innate confidence that I didn't have in myself. Um, but the news that, that he was gay and leaving really rocked my world. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to cope with it. What I really wanted to do was to get into bed and pull the covers over my head and have somebody take care of me. And I knew that wasn't going to happen because now I had three children that I had to be responsible for. But what that news did for me was really started my eating in, in an addictive way that I 
that I came to eat. And I can see it clearly for me that it was that clearly defined because I remember one night sitting in front of the television set on the floor with my face about a foot from the screen with a paper bag in my lap filled with some food and just watching whatever I was watching and putting my hand in and out of that bag until the final time I put my hand in the bag and found it empty and thinking, where did all that go? That's my first conscious memory of eating addictively. It may have happened before, but that's the first time I remember it, and it was far from being the last. Another thing that happened right around that time was uh, my anniversary was in September, and my husband had left in April, and the night of my wedding anniversary, I tortured myself, really, by bringing out my wedding album and looking through it and in previous years when we celebrated our anniversary, I always made a special dinner and brought out the wedding album and we had a glass of cold duck, which is what I like, the sparkling wine. And I did the same thing that night. I brought a whole bottle and as I'm looking through this album, I drank the entire bottle of wine and and I'm not a happy drunk. I just started sobbing and and I realized sitting there on the floor, again, with that album in front of me, having consumed that whole bottle of wine, you know, thank you, God, I really had a spiritual experience because I thought, I have three young children up in bed. If I do this again and again, I can become an alcoholic. And I don't know why that thought came to me because I don't have a history of alcohol in my family that I'm aware of, but I knew sitting there that that could that's what my future would be. So I never again repeated that, but without even thinking, what I did was turn to the food in a way I never had before. And because now I had nobody else at home that really was watching me, I mean, the children went up to bed and I was free to eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And I started in a very gradual way. I didn't start eating the way I eventually ended up eating. But through the years, I was eating more and more and gaining weight so that between 10 and 20 pounds got to be 30 pounds and then 40 pounds. And for someone who was vain about her weight, that that was really hard to take. For someone who'd always been thin to now be told or, or to look in a mirror and see that I was fat, no one would dare come out and tell me, but they didn't have to. I could see that I had to buy bigger and bigger clothes. Um... I didn't take it well. I did not take it well, and I didn't want to buy those bigger clothes. I would wear clothes that were much too small, eventually that I had to hold together with safety pins because I would not go into the store and buy that next bigger size that I needed. Um, I would go in the store and buy the size I was wearing with an elastic waist so I could fool myself into thinking I really hadn't gotten any bigger. Um, I did try to lose weight uh, on my own before I found this program. I did go to Weight Watchers several times, and the, the first time was probably the most successful because I was so determined that this, this was going to solve it for me. And for one week on Weight Watchers, I ate even less than they allowed because I couldn't wait to get that weight off me. But after a week, I had gone back and had lost, I think, almost 10 pounds in that week, which probably included a lot of water weight. But I couldn't repeat it. I could not stay on it for the second week. So Weight Watchers wasn't an option for me. Um, I went to Physician Weight Loss Center, but I wasn't heavy enough for them. I was between probably, at this point, between 50 and 60 pounds more 
than I am today. And you had to be an even higher weight. And so I didn't qualify for that, which is just as well, because I had no idea what it was, what they were offering, whether it was a drink or food or powder or how much it cost. And I probably would not have been able to afford it even if I had been um, qualified to join. But I, I didn't think there was any solution. Finally, the only thing I was able to do for short periods of time would be to starve myself. And when summer would come, I would, for two or three or four weeks, however long it took, really not eat very much so I could lose. Initially, it was those 10 pounds, and then eventually became 20 pounds. After that, I couldn't keep doing that anymore. I lost that ability. Um, but I never truly resolved that this is how I was going to be. I didn't know how I was going to be thinner, but I knew that this is not how I could stay. I was fortunate enough to have had been thin for a lot of my, for my growing up years and my early life until I was in my 30s, that I knew that this is not the body I was supposed to have. But how was I going to get the other one? I had no clue whatsoever. Uh, time went on, uh, and eventually my daughter is the person who introduced me to this program. By this time, she was, I think she had graduated college, and she was home living with me for a short time. And she had found this program before it became FA. She found another 12-step program. And what I noticed about her first, before I noticed her getting thinner, was that she was happier, she was nicer, she wasn't grouchy with me. And, and I, I asked her what she was doing, and she told me about these meetings that she was going to. And I did see her weighing and measuring and preparing her food. And she told me there was a meeting on Sunday if I was interested in going. And I went with her on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock into a room of about 200 people who were slim and attractive and glowing. Not many of them were fat, but even those that were still heavy just had something about them. And I think what they had that I could recognize was that hope, that they weren't anymore imprisoned by that, that hopelessness that I was feeling so much. And after that meeting was over, uh, someone approached me because I'd stood up as being a newcomer at that meeting and asked if I wanted a sponsor. But you know, that innate fear, doubt, insecurity had hold of me again, and I backed away from her, and I said no. But what it didn't keep me from doing was to keep going to meetings. And I went to a meeting later in the week, and at that meeting I heard somebody who was calm, quiet, serene. Um, she was tiny, she was petite, and slim and just beautiful to me. And she was everything I always wanted to be. I was this now large, always felt gawky, um, felt very unattractive. And here was this person. So I didn't just want this program. I wanted to be tiny and petite like her. Well, that I couldn't have. But she was available to sponsor, and she became my first sponsor. And even though she looked very frail and delicate, she was far from it because she was very, very strong and very committed to this program. And she laid out for me exactly what I needed to do. And what she did then is what I do today, which is eating three weight and measured meals with nothing in between, no flour and no sugar, and told me to get on my knees in the morning and ask God for help and to get on my knees at night and to read the big book and to read the 24-hour book. And, you know, she cut it pretty cut and dried for me. She just laid it out exactly what I had to do. And that's what I really needed, somebody to tell me how to do it because I didn't know how to do it on my own. 
And so I, I jumped in with both feet, but you know what? I didn't know what I was getting into. I had no idea what a 12-step program was. I didn't know anything about the 12 steps. So what I found when I came the first time, what I was only able to grasp was a really good way to lose weight, like a diet program. That's all I could see. And I came in and I got those dramatic results pretty quickly. Um, within a very short time, I had lost the weight. But after about six months in program and thinking, you know, this is easy, this really isn't hard, that abstinence was a God-given thing because I really did not have to work for that abstinence when I got it. I got my 90 days and it's like, wow, you know, why couldn't I think of this myself? And I had been looking for things before this. I had an envelope at home stuffed with diets that I had cut out of magazines. I never tried them, but they were there waiting for me whenever I wanted them. I had another envelope stuffed with exercises. Never did one, but it was there. It was like my plan for tomorrow. Um, but after six months in the program, I did break my abstinence. And once I broke my abstinence, you know, the magic spell or whatever I thought I was under was gone because I was not able to get my abstinence back again. And... Um, I stayed in program for a while after that and, and then eventually left because I was really, really uncomfortable. Well, how come I can't get it? How come I had it before? Everybody else is doing it and I can't. And that fear, doubt, and insecurity, like I'm the only one, took me out of there. It, it was that self-centered fear. Uh, so I was out for a year and a half. And in that time, my eating took off in a way it never had before. I ate exclusively flour and sugar. I gained rapidly this between 50 and 60 pounds I had lost. And what I saw for the first time was the scale kept climbing and climbing. I didn't reach a plateau and then stop. I thought at some point it would stop. And when I was close to, it was in the high 180s, to me that's heading, I'm almost 200 at that point. I never thought I could be that heavy. For some reason, I thought, for me, it wasn't going to happen that way, but it did. And I knew if I kept on eating, it was, there was not going to be any stopping at 200. Um, I remember once during that year and a half, I was leaving a grocery store, my arms with, filled with bags, and I was eating something on the way out, and I ran into somebody I had known in program. Well, I just wanted that ground to open up and swallow me. Because when I was in program, I never ate in between. And when I was out of program, all I did was eat. I would wake up in the morning whether it was 2 in the morning or 6 in the morning, I was down in the kitchen cupboards eating. I would take food on the trolley ride into work with me and be eating all the way into work. I would stop at the CVS downstairs and buy food to keep me going all morning, take it up and hide it in my desk drawer and then throw the papers in the ladies' room trash at lunchtime so no one would come in and see the trash in my office. I would go out at lunch and eat and then stop again on my way back and be really humiliated and embarrassed that the people in CVS knew me, they knew what I was going to buy, they saw me twice a day, you know, because I had my routines. I, I was a very ritualistic eater. There were certain things I ate, and if a company made two of one thing, well, I had to try that other brand too, that other style. Um, and I just didn't see where it was going to end, and I didn't see how I could stop. And yet that, that pride kept me from coming back to program until... Um, after I had been out for that year and a half, this cousin that I had grown up with uh, developed or 
had been sick with very serious cancer and he was dying. And I found the closer that he came to dying, the sicker he got, the more I ate. And I would eat before going to see him in the hospital. I would eat when I left. I was even going to a therapist at the time and talking about my eating. And it still, you know, didn't change anything. Um, and the weekend my cousin died is when I had one. Hopefully, thank you, God, will be my last binge. And I love it in the big book where it says that the, the only good binge is the one that brings us into AA because that's what I feel that this binge was that brought me back into program, into recovery. Um, I'd gone to see my cousin and he was gravely ill and I left and I went to one of my favorite binge places to buy food and walked in and found my cousin's grandchildren with their father. He had taken them out of the house to get them away from all the grief and I was humiliated walking in because it's like I had come from my drug. I didn't want to see anybody I knew I didn't want to be fat and having people see me going to get my food. Um, But I went over and I talked with them and I turned around to leave and I almost, the thought came to me, well, I should just walk out the door without this. And I thought, well, nobody walks in here just to walk out empty-handed. They know why I'm here. I might as well go get it. So whatever pride I had or dignity was just out the window because when I needed my drug, I had to have it. And I went in there and bought what I had planned to, and I took it home and went up to my bedroom to hide because I had other people living in the house with me and I didn't want them to see how I ate. I didn't eat the way a normal person eats. I didn't have one portion of anything. Once I started eating, I didn't stop until what I was eating was gone. And I went into my bedroom and closed the door and sat on the bed and cried and ate and ate and cried And I caught sight of myself in the mirror that was across the room, and I could see the tears running down my face and into the packaging in front of me, and I still didn't stop. It just made me hate myself more than I already did. And that's where this disease took me. It took me to such terrible self-loathing that I couldn't stand the sight of myself. I've heard people talk about they would look at themselves in the mirror only from the, the neck up or the head up, I couldn't even do that anymore because when I came back to this program, I was in my late 40s, and because I had gained almost 60 pounds, I was starting to get jowls on my face, and that was something I had never had before. And you know, when you get older, the weight shows in a different way than it does when you're younger. It didn't distribute itself evenly on my body at all. And so I couldn't even stand to look at myself in the mirror. And um, it made me miserable. But the, the one saving grace I had was that that year and a half I was out of program. There was still one or two people who on occasion would give me a call. And I would say, you know, I'm not in program. And of course they would know because if I were in program, they would have seen me at meetings. But they still kept in touch with me. And it let me know that if I wanted program, it was still there for me, that I didn't have to be afraid about going back. And I called this one woman, and she said, I'm going to be at the Tuesday meeting you used to go to. It's still there, and I have a sponsee with me who's ready to sponsor. And, you know, that was hope. That was the first hope I'd had in that year and a half, that it was okay for me. I had permission, you know, to go back. And... 
I did go back that Tuesday, and I, I still finished binging that weekend. That didn't stop me. I had the hope, but I still binged. And I went back Tuesday, though, and I was at that meeting. And that night, that woman became my sponsor. And uh, I felt saved. I went home that night, and I really felt saved. I got on my knees, and I was really grateful. That, to, to me, was another spiritual experience, just knowing that I was going to be okay, that I still had to lose that weight all over again. You know, I wasn't going to go to bed fat and wake up thin, which is what I wanted, because I didn't gain it all that quickly. It took me a year and a half, and, that, and I did, you know, try everything that was out there. And you know what? I didn't want it anymore. But even not wanting it was not enough to get me to stop. I couldn't stop, but I now had a solution, and I knew I had the solution, and I I felt it inside of me, and I went to bed that night, and I was peaceful, and that night I fell asleep, and at about midnight or so, my cousin's wife called up to say that he had died, and I got up, and I went over, they lived in the same town, and I stayed up with the family through the night, and the miracle for me is that I wasn't eating or drinking all that night while I stayed up with them because I didn't know what else to do with myself. If I was conscious, I was eating. If I was driving, I was eating. If I was working, I was eating. I always had to be eating. And for that, those hours, which are very long during the night, I wasn't eating. And this recovery, as new as it was, enabled me to stay abstinent the next days through the wake and through the funeral, through some really difficult and emotional times. And what I kept thinking during those first 90 days that I came back into recovery, how hard it was, number one, because it wasn't as simple and as easy as it had been for me the first time. I really had to work, and I really had to ask God for a lot of help. But I got it. That's the thing. I really got the help when I asked for it. Um, and I, I would think, if I give this, if I take that bite, I'm throwing in God's face this abstinence that I've been given again, and I'm giving, I'm throwing it in my cousin's face, the last parting gift that his death gave me, which was this abstinence. And so I really treasured what I had, and you know, really worked my program, and really started to get it a little bit, you know. Um, And my life has changed dramatically. It's changed dramatically from that day. Ten years ago now, I've been through a lot of very wonderful experiences, had grandchildren born, changed jobs. Um, But that's not even... The dramatic things, it was always easier to get through. It's the day-to-day living that I can get through now. I was always somebody who wanted to live in yesterday because I knew what yesterday was and kept trying to rewrite my past. And today my recovery has taught me to live in the present moment. And that's a gift. The present moment isn't always wonderful. It's often uncomfortable. But today I don't have to turn to the food. Um, I have a job which can sometimes be stressful. But today I look and say, you know, thank you God I have a job. It doesn't mean I have to stay in it if it's not the right one for me. But I don't have to eat over it either. That's the miracle. That if I'm uncomfortable, I can pick up the phone during the day and talk and connect with another addict. And I don't have to keep things buzzing around in my head that would have, in other days, led me right down to the vending machine. 
you know, the fact is I don't want to eat today. And although I've been back in program for 10 years, it hasn't been perfect abstinence back to back. But the gift that has happened is when I had made a mistake with my food and broken my abstinence was that I knew this is where I wanted to be. I no longer wanted to flee the program. This is what I have. This is where I can grow and this is where I can change and this is where my life gets better. And this is where I've got a shot. On my own, I don't. On my own, I'm hopeless. And I know if I were to take that bite again, I can be out there and there is no stopping me once I start. And the gift of not wanting to be there, I think, is truly a miracle. And um, another example of, you know, the gifts of this program is six years ago when my sister was dying, um, I didn't have to eat through. That was one of the most painful experiences for me. And yet the last year of her life was a huge gift for both of us because although I would have showed up before, I showed up in a much more serene calm way than I ever could have before. Now, you remember taking my dinner into my sister's hospital room on a meeting night and having dinner with her and then her saying to me, now, don't you have to be going? Isn't it a meeting night for you? You know, so I was being watched over and cared for. And, you know, this program helped me get through that difficult time and it's helped get me through a lot of a lot of difficult and stressful times, but a lot of joyful times, too. Um, a year ago, bought my own condo after living in apartments for 30 years. Um, but more than that, the day-to-day living. I wake up every day with hope in my heart. I'm excited about having a new day. Um, I'm excited about my life today. When I came in at the age of 48, I thought anything good that had, was going to happen to me had already happened. Today I have hope and possibility, um, just joy in everyday things. I've met a, a wealth of people here that I never could have gotten to know any other way, and they have enriched my life beyond measure. Um, so I'm grateful to be um, an addict who has the solution, not an addict out there who's still looking, and to know that this is what I need if I want to keep what I have. Thank you. Will you all remain in your seats, and those who wish to, please join me in a moment of silence in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.